There are no shortage of couples formed in Jane Austen's novels, but what about the experiences of the author herself? One curious engagement-related episode in Jane's life is the topic for today's Footnoting History. Hey everyone, Christine here with Footnoting History's newest episode, The Unengagement of Jane Austen. I know, I know, the author of some of the most well-known books in all of English literature is hardly an unfamiliar name for many people. But the truth is that I love Jane, and in particular, I have a fascination with this one incident in her life, and so I wanted to share it with you. You see, once upon a time, in 1802, Jane Austen had an encounter with a gentleman that could have changed her life forever. But, as we know, before we jump into the big moment, let's just list some fast facts about Jane to sort of set the stage, if you will. 1. Jane was born on December 16, 1775, at Steventon in Hampshire, England, to George and Cassandra Austen, and she died on July 18th, 1817, in Winchester, England, at age 41. 2. She had six brothers, but only one sister. That sister, Cassandra, was older than her, and by all accounts, she was Jane's absolute best friend. There are some stories about Jane's life that are only even passed down because Cassandra told them to her nieces and nephews well after Jane had died. 3. Jane's main canon of books consists of Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, Mansfield Park, Emma, Northanger Abbey, and Persuasion. But only four were published in her lifetime. Northanger Abbey and Persuasion were not published until after she died, much like the story Lady Susan and her unfinished works and some of what she had written as a child. This leads me to the fourth, our final one before getting to 1802. Jane didn't live as some sort of celebrated author. She wasn't the toast of the town, going around doing book tours and signings like would happen today. This was largely because her books were published anonymously. Her first publication, Sense and Sensibility, was noted as being written by a lady, with subsequent books saying things like, by the author of Sense and Sensibility. It wasn't until Northanger Abbey and Persuasion were published after her death that her name was actually affixed to her works. What then was Jane up to in 1802, the time of our main event? Well, first off, although she was definitely already writing, she had not yet had anything published, and would not for quite some time. She was single, and at nearly 27, opportunities for changing that state were not particularly forthcoming. Her personality included what her family later called an unusually quick sense of the ridiculous, which is something I would like people to say about me. I mean, that's kind of a great way to be described. She was prone to having cheeks that were quite rosy, and she had brunette hair that framed her face. 1802 found Jane residing with her family in Bath, that famous social town where people like to have fun and gossip, which was a far cry from the quiet countryside where she grew up. The year before, her father and mother had decided it was time to turn over their home at Steventon to Jane's brother, and so the move to Bath was made, whether Jane and Cassandra wanted to go or not. 
But this move from their beloved childhood home did not sever the sisters' ties with friends there. Towards the end of 1802, just before Jane's birthday, she and Cassandra returned to the area to visit some such long-term friends. These friends were the big sisters of Manny Down Park, a manor near to Jane's beloved Steventon. It was during this visit, which was probably anticipated to be relatively run-of-the-mill, that Jane Austen received her only known proposal of marriage, our big event. Now, Jane was not ignorant of what it meant to be married, be it a love match or a practical one. She had, of course, family and acquaintances who were married, and if you've ever read any of her novels, you know that she wrote significant amounts about the coming together of various fictional couples. She had also watched her dear sister Cassandra endure heartbreak years before, when Cassandra's intended passed away before they could marry. Cassandra, it should be noted, remained single for the rest of her life. And Jane was not immune to her own occasional flirtation, most notably with Tom Lefroy, the relative of a family friend, but nothing that had resulted in a lasting attachment. And so the spinster clock was ticking. Enter opportunity. And in this case, opportunity came in the form of her friend's brother, Harris Big Wither. He was younger than Jane by almost six years and considered somewhat awkward. Which Austin scholar you read will depend upon exactly how awkward and possibly undesirable he was supposed to be. But one thing unifies the descriptions of him. He had a distinct stammer. It's even referred to in later family writings as a defect of speech that very much concerned his father. Harris, who was to also be the heir to Manny Down Park, set his sights on Jane. On December 2nd, 1802, Harris proposed to her, and, as far as we know, as I mentioned, this was to be the only formal proposal she ever received. Personal affection or attraction aside, there were many practical things that could recommend tying the knot. She would one day become the Lady of Manydown. Money would not be a problem. Indeed, it would be far from her current situation as a single daughter living with her parents. She would even likely have a family of her own. Plus, it would allow her to move back from Bath to Hampshire, so very near her childhood home. And she was already close enough with two of Harris's sisters that she was coming to visit them. Harris was also not really unfamiliar to her. His name pops up in some of her letters from well before this incident. What was Jane's reaction to the proposal of marriage from the younger brother of her close friends? Did her eyes light up with realizing the practical advantages that came with such a match? Alas, the details of the inner workings of Jane's heart and mind continue to elude us. But we do know this very important thing. Jane Austen said yes. She accepted Harris's proposal, and as they say, all was right with the world. Until it wasn't. The very next day, things turned on their heads. Jane changed her mind, and she broke off the engagement, and it was less than 24 hours after accepting it. Whatever motivated Jane's acceptance was apparently not enough for it to last for more than one evening. What a scandal! As befitted such a twist, Jane and Cassandra quit Manny Down Park, no doubt cutting their intended visit quite short. Harris and the rest of his family were most likely down about this sudden turnaround that happened with almost whiplash-causing speed. One day engaged, the next day tossed aside. 
It almost sounds like the jumping-off point for a modern-day television drama. In the 15 years Jane lived after this, she did publish the books that would make her famous today. But despite their involving courtship and marriage, she would never walk down the aisle herself. She would, however, overcome the likely embarrassment which occurred when she had to tell her family and friends that she would and then would not be marrying Harris because she continued her friendship with his sisters up until her death in 1817. Now, did she regret her choice? It's impossible to know, as Jane's surviving letters have a big gap surrounding the time of her whirlwind engagement and unengagement. It is widely believed that Cassandra, in the decades following Jane's death, destroyed a good deal of their correspondence, so the odds are the world may never know what opinions, if any, she had ever given on paper. Indeed, also, given that Cassandra was with her at the time of the proposal situation, there may not actually have ever been anything about it to read. We will probably never know this. Making the event public knowledge was even a matter of debate. Later, as the 1870s were approaching, when both Jane and her protective older sister had long since passed, her nieces and nephew were trying to decide how to present a portrait of her life to the world. During the discussions that would ultimately result in the publication of A Memoir of Jane Austen, the question came up of how to handle Jane's love affairs or lack thereof. Caroline Austen, Jane's niece, reasoned that while the engagement story itself was harmless, after all, Jane and Harris were both dead by now, there were likely relatives of Harris's who had not ever heard the story, and how bizarre would it be for them to discover it in print? Telling people the story in person was one thing, but publishing it for the world was quite another. If it was to be mentioned at all, Caroline argued, it should be in so vague a fashion that no one could understand who was being discussed. James Edward Austin Lee, the architect of A Memoir of Jane Austen, obviously agreed at least to an extent because the entire event is ignored in the first edition, and when it was added to the second edition, it was with two passing sentences. Those were, She did not indeed pass through life without being the object of warm affection. In her youth she had declined the addresses of a gentleman who had the recommendations of good character and connections and position in life, of everything, in fact, except the subtle power of touching her heart. The topic is then abandoned for a discussion of Jane having had a possible affinity for an unnamed man she met near the seaside. That obviously also did not end in marriage. In fact, it is believed that the nameless man died suddenly without anything progressing. Jane's love life clearly was not meant to have a fairy tale ending. But wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. What happened to Harris? What happened to him after this rather strange development in his life. Did he wallow in despair? No, no, no. Quite the contrary. And we must discuss that, lest he be relegated yet again to serving as a footnote in Ms. Austen's life. In November of 1804, little less than two years after the failed engagement attempt, Harris married. The woman he married was Anne Howe Frith, daughter of Jane and Beddington Frith. Her father was actually a lieutenant colonel of the North Hants Militia. The couple settled at Wimmering Manor in Hampshire. Okay, fun fact. When I was researching this podcast and reading about Wimmering Manor, I learned that it has been featured more than once on modern British television shows for being considered one of the most haunted houses in the UK. 
So if you like being creeped out, you may want to give that a Google or a look on YouTube or something. I mean, I admit that I didn't watch any of them because I am one of the easiest scared people you'll ever meet, but it was a very strange and interesting connection, and so I thought I should point it out. Anyway, so Harris recovered, and he married Anne in November of 1804. They lived together in Wimmering until 1813. That was when Harris's father died, and he inherited Many Down and all that came with it. A family history, published in 1907 by Reverend Reginald Big Wither, says that due to his stammering, Harris continued to avoid society, and while he was quite hospitable in his own home, he was also quick-tempered. You can interpret that as you wish. Reverend Big Wither also includes a family story passed down about Harris that could be seen as quite amusing, so long as I guess you were not the one experiencing it. Harris had a disagreement with members of the Winchester Cathedral chapter over his right to cut timber in a certain area. It perturbed him greatly that these men, who he considered his friends, were denying him what he wanted. So, what he allegedly did was invite them all over to dinner. Then he served them punch, but the punch was made of a mixture of all the different wonderful wines that tasted particularly vile when combined. Seeing their dismay at the taste of this gross punch, he told them, My punch is like you. In your individual capacity, you are all very good fellows, but in your corporate capacity, you are very disagreeable. Well played. The score here was Harris 1, members of the Winchester Cathedral Chapter 0. But I digress there with that little aside, so back to the main plot. Harris and his wife Anne had ten children together and evenly split five sons and five daughters. Now, it's often joked that England in the early 19th century had clergymen everywhere you looked. And if someone wants to illustrate that argument, they need look no farther than Harris and Anne's sons. Four of them took holy orders. That's right, four out of five. The one that didn't, Charles, moved to New Zealand where he eventually got involved in politics there. Much like four out of five sons had similar life stories in the holy order sense, all five of Harris and Anne's daughters had something interesting in common as well. Not one of them married. This state of non-marriage or singledom or spinsterhood, whatever you'd like to call it, naturally brings us back to Jane, because she never married herself, and she did not achieve literary fame until after her death. Meanwhile, Harris went from being the cast-off suitor to a husband, father of ten, and curious country gentleman. He lived in the Many Down area until March of 1833, when he passed away not long before his 52nd birthday, which, for those who are keeping track, was almost 16 years after his could-have-been wife, Jane Austen. This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. <laughs>